Welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, an online lit mag dedicated to artful autobiographical writing, which you can read today at autofocuslit.com and follow on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I'm the publisher and editor of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, I talk with Danielle Rose. Danielle Rose is the author of the chapbooks At First and Then from Black Lawrence Press and The History of Mountains from Variant Lit, which comes out very soon, like this weekend. Her work can be found in publications such as Hobart, Had, Palette, Sundog Lit, and Autofocus. All right, let's get to it. This is my conversation with Danielle Rose. We live in a house that is, uh, I mean, it's its less than a mile away from the house that I grew up in. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't, it sort of happened by accident, but also not because we were looking in the in the same kind of area. Um, yeah. It's in a different town, or actually a different city right over the border, but you know, less, less than a mile. It's been nice over this last year to uh, be able to at least easily see my parents, even if it's at a distance and yeah. outside and everything like that. It's it's been it's been good to have them around. They still live there. Is it nostalgic when you go over there? Is it just so like normal? Oh, it's really weird at this point. I actually don't go there that much. Um, yeah. You know, especially over the last year, I just haven't oh, right. um, at all really. Um, but it's it's definitely really weird. I mean, walking into that house now uh, when so much in my life has changed and is just very, very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's spooky. It's, it's like sort of stepping into a ghost story, yeah. stepping into an alternate history, except that, I don't know, the alternate history is the one that's in my head. And, yeah. Yeah. Is there, there's no like anxiety, like <laughs> you go no, no. Your I mean, you know, just the usual family stuff. Just the usual anxiety. Yeah. Do you have a good relationship with your parents? No, it's 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 good. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. And um, so, have you lived anywhere else? Or you've basically been up there in Massachusetts this whole time? I've I've pretty much been in the Northeast the whole time. I mm-hmm. uh, I was born in Texas, uh, yeah. but I didn't spend very much time there. Uh, pretty much lived my whole life in Massachusetts, went to school in uh, Capital and New York, and then came back to, to Massachusetts. And I've been here since. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many years were you there? Oh, just, a, you know, four and a half, five, no, five years or so. That's a long all time. All, yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, five years and then a little bit of time. Yeah. On either side. What part did you live in? Uh, it was in Saratoga Springs. I went to Skidmore yeah. for my undergraduate. And, and did you study poetry there? I did. I um I had an incredible, incredible undergraduate experience that I really credit for giving me most of the the foundation that I've needed to really make work now. Um, but I, you know, I studied with uh, Carolyn Forche. Uh, she was my undergraduate advisor. I, uh, you know, spent a lot of time hanging out in the offices of Salma Gundy magazine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was, uh, you know, in, in workshops with Henri Cole and hanging out like around Robert Pinsky and like crazy famous people. And it was it was quite the experience. It was really, yeah. really incredible. And so did you when you went there, did you know that you wanted to study poetry or did it kind of develop later in like the college going experience for you? Oh no, I was I was uh, on a straight line. Really, I, I figured it out in very early high school. I I always my mother was a teacher. Um, my parents, um, everyone in my family, 
everyone in my family was a voracious reader, um, you know, going back to, to grandparents and great grandparents, uh, you know, books and literature and stories were very important to uh, to my family. Were there any like family favorite like books? We were the kind of family that just tore through books. And so like, like the, the best book was, you know, the book that you're reading or the next yeah. book that you're looking forward to reading. So was it, so was it like poetry, like for you at that time or kind of like when you went to school, you're like writing like in general, and then like the specificity of poetry kind of came later. Or was it always like you wanted to go in doing poetry? When I was younger, my, I guess like, like my, my earliest like literature memory, um, I use the term literature very loosely here, mm -hmm. um, was I, I don't even know how old I was, like maybe eight years old. And, um, I was like dictating Batman stories to my mm -hmm. father who was mm -hmm. typing them out on, uh, our old, uh, Apple IIe. Uh -huh. which is going to date me right there. <laughs> um, and, uh, and these were um, Adam West Batman. That was, that was what I oh, was yeah. into when I was, when I was, uh, you know, a, a little kid. Um, I used to be able to, I was young enough that uh, like staying up until like eight o'clock was the treat. I, it was a treat that I could stay up till eight o'clock and watch Batman on Nick at night. And yeah. Uh, yeah so, you know, my, my, this, this took a, huge digression this is why i took a huge bong rip at the beginning of this um <laughs> and uh so batman aside um, yes. batman is important because what i was what i really read when i was younger were uh like like fantasy and science fiction mm -hmm. novels like like some really dime store cheap you know anything like you know my mother would come home from the library with a huge sack of books and they were all just like cheap fantasy and I would go through the whole thing and you know read them in a couple nights and and just tear through them um and I started reading you know more literature as I got older um you know I really in, in high school sort of the you know edgy early aughts high school phase it was you know I was really into the modernists and mm -hmm. you know all of that and sort of making my way through um you know we sort of consider the canon at that point mm -hmm. and um I always I, I fell in love with poetry and it's uh I, I think it's because poetry is the best medium that is suited to me mm -hmm. and I'm sort of scattered and all over the place and um it's best if I can sort of sit down and do something and you know, put something together in one sitting and the idea of, you know, coming up with, you know, tens of thousands of words, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of words for a novel is, is just, <laughs> that, that, that's way beyond me. I can't even conceive of being able to do that. Um, you know, even like, like 1500 words is like, all right, well, that's getting a little, a little difficult here. I don't know if I can keep the thread going. Um, yeah, I, I just sort of fell in love with it. And um, that's what I wanted to do you know since i was like 14 and i yeah. uh you know went into my undergrad with a you know a, a, an application letter about rilke <laughs> wow i think i talked about rilke in my in, in my interview too um I, I leaned into it hard but rilke was not even on my radar <laughs> i think it wouldn't be years for for me until i was oh gosh so i was um introduced to rilke actually by um it, it actually, I I got into poetry, if you want to be more exacting about this, through yeah. punk rock. Oh, interesting. I had gotten into punk when I was a, 
early teen um and i had uh sort of started going to shows a little bit but you know i was still very young and i i met these uh you know slightly older kids um and started playing a little bit of music with them and going to shows with them uh one of them actually went on to become a fairly famous punk rock person um and he uh showed me, you know, when I was like 14, 15, 16, sort of unfolding, sort of, uh, you know, introduced me to like Rilke, Foucault, Adorno, and like Sartre, and all this just like goes on from there, where I, you know, read all of the, the Camus and, and all of that stuff. And, um, and did you play, what did you play? Did you play the guitar or the drums or the bass? Or? Oh, I played the guitar really poorly. Uh, <laughs> I've, I'm not much of a musician. Um, yeah, yeah, but you could throw some power chords together. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, the few sort of successful things I did, I screamed, which is like, uh-huh. I can do that. Like, yeah. I can read. I can read Foucault, and I can scream. Well, you know, read Foucault, <laughs> write lyrics, and then scream them. That's you know, I was really good at that when I was yeah. younger. I don't think I could do that anymore. I don't think I'd want to do that. Ugh. <laughs> too much energy. It's, oh, I don't have the energy. Oh, I need a nap halfway through. Especially after you take a bong rip, like the last one of the last things you want to do. Oh gosh, like like <laughs> ten minutes set and a fifteen minute intermission in the middle. Yeah, I wonder. You know, I wonder how for how many people. You know, especially these days, like music is kind of an entryway into poetry. You know, and ultimately, like writing for people. Like, um, I'm like in in a sense, I'm wondering like. Like for how many people like song song lyrics, right? I mean, it's not like a page poem, but it's kind of like that gateway into, you know, writing short things down <laughs> to convey like a feeling or you know tell a story or something. I'm you know I'm saying that because I think I think it's kind of I think it was for me. You know, I'm 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 more surprised that there aren't more people who come into poetry from like punk rock especially um music is a gateway into poetry and music is a is a gateway into art i think more than anything else just overall it's it's you know popular music and even not so popular music is uh probably one of the most accessible forms of art that exists in our culture yeah i don't know i i just I, i've never really thought about that before it's like that in television trying to think if i got into music because of television but i don't think that's true (laughs) but maybe it is like in a way it's like maybe i got into music because of television and then like and like art because of music um you know do you still well it didn't sound like it but do you still listen to a lot of punk rock now actually um i sort of went back and forth for a little while but i really started to over the last year or so um it's been sort of a pandemic thing i guess i've been regressing in some ways but um (laughs) yeah i was i was actually listening to counterparts to like get myself awake and ready to to do this before we we started do you know counterparts Mm -mm. they're wonderful um, yeah, I, I'm mostly like, I'm a Boston hardcore kid at heart. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a Boston hardcore kid at heart, right? But one of my favorite things about you that I see on like Twitter is your NASCAR and like virtual Oh no, these, virtual these, these two stuff. things are not very different. Um, Boston hardcore is like, I don't know, it's like, it's thug culture and uh, it's not very different from the sort of like NASCAR 
outlaw culture and is there a lot of like country music and that's because like to me i was like thinking like i didn't know there was nascar in massachusetts or like we have some smaller like uh we have some smaller local tracks that do like smaller nascar things but yeah yeah. there's racing up here so what's your like first what like how do you do virtual racing did i see like a picture like you have this like whole setup like the seat and then there's like the screens like and then like the wheel yeah that's so serious i love it i'm very (laughs) i'm the um i was the top ranked female driver in new england for uh my sprint car series so how do you how do you like get into this is it just like a like a game system and then like you just like play against people on the internet or is it like like a different organization that like runs it well um both sort of uh i mean it's it's a it's a company it's a it's a company that's actually in uh in massachusetts uh they're really local i could go drive over there if i wanted to um it's a service like it's it's the best like racing with other people that you can do um Mm -hmm. and uh you know there are like pro series like there's a a nascar series that uh airs you know almost every week on um fox sports one Mm -hmm. i just do a little like fun you know i'm i'm almost 40 and it's been a long time since i've been in a real race car but (laughs) it's a lot of fun you know i drive my little sprint cars and Pickups. So you you've been in a real race car? Um, I I used to do you know very low level stuff when I was much younger and much stupider. Um, my favorite <laughs> part about sim racing is how safe it is. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but you know, anyway, you've you've got you know your chapbook out from Black Lawrence at first, and then and then kind of coming right on its heels now. <laughs> it's another one, um, the history of mountains, and you know. As I told you, you know, I, I did enjoy, you know, reading both those books. You know, obviously I did because I asked you <laughs> to come talk to me about them. Um, but I figured we'd start, you know, talking a little bit about at first and then which won uh, the Black River Chatbook Contest for Black Lawrence Press. So, you know, like it's kind of an interesting book to me because it seems like it's like a deeply personal book, but it also like isn't caught up in like specificity and like the facts of like of of your life it feels like something that's kind of you know close to the bone but not in a way where it's like specifically confessional like you know reading it you don't get like the detailed kind of picture of your life but you know i think it kind of speaks so much in like metaphor and myth and, you know, coming at a lot of things from different angles and evoking, you know, a lot of kind of like the mind frame and, you know, the thoughts and feelings of of the poems, you know, and like one of the blurbs on the back, they call it like a transition narrative, but not in the ways it's expected to be. And I thought that there was such an interesting kind of thing in the blurb because it called it a narrative, right? But like, you know, not in the ways it's expected to be because in a way it's, you know, not narrative. <laughs> um so I guess, you know, what I'm turning this into a question here is, you know, does that, you know, the way I'm kind of explaining it to you, you know, does that resonate with you at all or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think that that's something that I do. Um, I maybe can explain it by saying that, like, I, I am sort of very New England, um, and we don't really, you know, I have a great relationship with my parents because, Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about things like we don't talk about our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those you you keep inside and you don't let them out. Um, and I think that that's a, a tension that um, 
ends up in my writing a lot. And, uh, you know, especially with at first and then, I, I think that there is a tension between these things. It's sort of confessional, but also mm-hmm. a, a lot of things stay hidden and you don't really get a, a full picture of stuff because I'm, I'm intentionally – uh, it, it's been described by other people as as uh, there's a, a distance mm-hmm. in it. You know, it's very personal. It's 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 very uh, internal, but at the same time, it's it's everything feels like you're sort of watching at a distance as opposed to to being up close. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think because to me, there feels like to be like a very consistent like narrator through the poems and just kind of kind of taking on you know the situation of your life and like looking at it. You know, kind of like I said, from from different angles, like the like it's the same eye to me. You know, I don't know <laughs> how you feel about that. It's the same eye to me, but it's like the place where the eye is standing, <laughs> looking at this the like the situation. You know, kind of changes. No, I, I have a lot of trust in my in in my reader. Um, I uh, very intentionally want to trust my reader, and I I think that my reader is very capable of, you know, taking what they need out of something. And I hesitate to maybe call it a technique, but it's it's sort of a, an element of my voice that I've been working on for a long time. And I, I think that At First and Then and The History of Mountains to a, to a certain extent as well uh, is probably the most successful that I've been with, with making that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first and then it, it is a it, it is a narrative and it does tell a story yeah no yeah i would agree with that um and that's accidental yeah because it's not it's and when i say like before what i'm saying like you know it's a narrative but it really isn't but i'm also saying like it is because <laughs> it's not a conventional narrative where there's not like <laughs> points of like like you're standing here and then cause and effect and something happens here and like cause and effect and something here but kind of like this the you know what makes it you know such a good chap to me is it does kind of have that co the cohesiveness from you know the beginning of the collection to the end like reading them in order you do get a sense of kind of movement and change in the perception and and kind of you know like also like reckoning with how to put language <laughs> like to, to it you know like that, that's something i like about your poems too is it's not just putting the language to it but like reckoning with the fact that you're trying to put language to it. Um, does that, is that something that finds your way into its work a lot? You find kind of wrestling with that, like, what are, what am I even doing? Like, you know, what am I even trying to do? Oh yeah. That's where I live. Why am I even doing this? <laughs> what is the point? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like, um, I like writing that's, that's aware of itself as writing. Um, I, I think that's something that I appreciate, especially in poetry, because the vast majority of the audience for poetry tends to be poets. So, you know, you're sort of talking to people who understand the ins and outs of, and I, you know, I I think it's sort of something, uh, you know, a bit unique about poetry that, um, you know, there is this sort of shared experience of creation that we all have, that we all do tap into, you know, in our work in one way or another. I think, you know, every, almost every poet ends up writing something that's self-aware at some point. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if, if, 
you don't actively, uh, you know, work in, in a, in a self-aware manner. I mean, you're, you're still all part of the same conversation and it, it, it sort of links everything together. So, you know, this book came out, you know, fairly recently and, you know, it was submitted to a contest, it won a contest and then, you know, it goes into kind of the publication kind of, you know, time in limbo. And so, you know, I imagine, you know, you must have been finished with the manuscript, you know, already <laughs> quite a long time ago. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, like, the time frame of, you know, like, where, where you were at and kind of what you were doing as you were, you know, drafting and ultimately kind of revising, you know, this chapbook. Like, did you always see it as a chap? Did you think it was going to be longer? Did you think it was going to be shorter? You know, kind of, you know, when did it start and kind of what was the process with it? Oh, gosh. Um, I only really started writing again and submitting at the beginning of... How does time work again? <laughs> um, I, I think, it, yeah, yeah. It was, it was at the beginning of 2019. So you had stopped for a while? I had stopped for a while. Um, and so what was going on before you started writing again? So like, why did, why did you stop, I guess? I, I mean, you're just going to get my life story at this point. <laughs> well, that's so, good. Um, it's called The Lives yeah, of Writers, no. <laughs> We, yeah, yeah, we can we can do this. Although it's it's probably gonna be quick because there's there's a lot of nothing in there. But that's um, totally fine. Yeah, yeah I uh, you know so it hasn't been explicitly said, um, but you know I'm a trans woman and I um, had a bit of a journey to that, and I had a really difficult time of things before I transitioned. And um, the short version of the story. Um, was that things were starting to get really bad for me at the end of my um, undergrad, and I, I, I didn't end up doing an MFA or, you know, going on to any other academic uh, pursuit after that, as I always had planned to. Um, I got involved and, and actually did some really, really, really important work in uh, foreclosure prevention mm -hmm. uh, around when the when the housing market collapsed, you know, a little over a decade ago. Um, and I, I did that uh, for a number of years um, until I ended up hurting my hands and having to sort of stop working. And one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, just being at home, which sort of brings us full circle into everything. So how long did you not write for? It was something like seven or eight years. Um, I did a little bit uh, in the sort of aftermath of graduation. I had some friends who... You know, I was I was doing, you know, little workshops with, but then it just sort of petered out and I stopped doing it. And, you know, I didn't really have any concept of, you know, what to even do next. And, you know, I sort of came out of a time period where, uh, you know, most submissions were still done, uh, you know, through the postal service. Right. And, you know, you didn't have a million little small press outfits that would take your work and, and give you a start, um, you know, it was much more difficult. And so I just sort of put it down and focused on other things for a while. And after I transitioned, I, I ended up just starting to write again. Yeah. I started to, to read some poetry and get back into it. And it was just sort of like riding a bike. <laughs> was that kind of it? Like you kind of the reading, like kind of the reading again, just kind of sparked the writing again? <laughs> or was it like I, you kind of got the itch to write and then you were like, and now I must read? Oh, the <laughs> reading. Yeah. The reading always comes before the writing. Mm -hmm. The reading causes the writing. 
And was this kind of the, what, uh, the, the first project you jumped into or kind of like, what were those writings like, you know, as you kind of started writing again, was this, was, was the, were these the poems or what were you kind of doing then? Some of those were those poems. Some of those uh, were very early poems. My first and only goal was to get something published. I just wanted to publish one thing just to prove to myself that Mm -hmm. I could. And then I was going to go back to not writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that sort of ended up going out the window, um, clearly. I started writing at first and then, which is really the the question I think that mm-hmm. you want me to get to eventually. Um, it was all written during this about eight, eight month period. I was writing like wild, just like poems and poems and poems. And it was pouring out of me and a lot of it was pretty good and it was getting published all over the place. And um, I knew that I wanted to do a, a, a chapbook first and um it went through a number of different revisions Mm -hmm. that were um it was actually there when this was accepted by black lawrence for publication and i was notified that it had won the contest um i had actually done a significant revision and sent (laughs) it out to other places so there's just the way (laughs) yeah there's a there's a version of the book that could have existed, mm-hmm. but but doesn't. Um, that I have tucked away on my on my hard drive actually. That is is significantly de- different in in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. collections can oftentimes be these nice little accidents that just sort of end up happening. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you mentioned you know you have a good, pretty good relationship with your parents, but you know, don't get into too much stuff. Like, do they read your do they read your writing, or do you kind of just kind of like steer clear of it? <laughs> For the most part, um, I try to steer them clear of it. Uh, I am unable to do this. Yeah. Um, my yeah, my parents end up reading it anyway, um, and I think that you know. At first and then is something that's a little hard for me to know that my parents are out there reading it. Um, yeah, I imagine so. I mean, it's hard enough with like my like little bullshit that like, I don't want, you know, like my parents reading, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Stuff more like, you know, the history of mountains, that's, that's less of a... Uh, that's less of a concern, but I mean, it's, you know, my, my parents are very proud of me and, and I know that and they're my biggest fans and they always will be, <laughs> even great. if they don't always read the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Sometimes it's better when they don't, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always better when they don't, but I can't stop them. So. <laughs> Get one that slips through the crack every now and then. Yeah. Um, so is your partner, you know, really like, so I always wonder about this. <laughs> Like people who are in relationships, does your well? I guess I should ask and not assume. Like, does your partner write as well, or are you the sole writer in the relationship? Um, they've been writing a supernatural novel, oh. but it's not. Uh, it's not really their their area. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you know, um, is your partner involved in like your writing process at all, or is it like kind of like you finish the book and you're like nervous for your partner to read it in the way that like you might be nervous for your parents? To oh, read? my partner doesn't read anything oh, really? that I. No, no, nothing, nothing. I, I know a lot of people in relationships. Yeah, where where that's the way it is, and and, and that's that's cool. That's the way you like it. <laughs> I'm I'm um 
you know, I I always had the rule that I I, I never dated other other uh, artists. Uh-huh. Um, I'm enough. <laughs> someone has to be the stable force um and it's not me and um someone has to pay the bills uh yeah yeah i (laughs) i prefer it this way i i know nothing about the marketing internet coding stuff that they do and you know they don't involve themselves in in my writing and and everything is good and we cheer we cheer each other on and are supportive, but yeah, not, not involved. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I'm, it's, I, I'm telling you new England, like I'm, I'm hermetic. I <laughs> like really, I don't have too many other writers mm-hmm. that I work with on a regular basis. I don't have people that I like send stuff to. That's just me. Well, it's kind of interesting, too, because you're like with your parents, like, you know, like you don't normally talk about stuff or like with your partner, like doesn't necessarily like look at your writing. And then it's like, do you just feel like you kind of put it all? <laughs> I mean, you feel like you kind of put it all into the to the poems or kind of like what I'm saying is like before you were saying like you're, you're New England and you don't really talk about that stuff. And like, it's not a part of like, you know, like close relationships necessarily. So is it all just like, all right, well, it's all going to go into the poetry. <laughs> or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, more or less it's, um, it, you know, it, it goes into the poetry or, you know, has other, other ways out. And gosh, I don't know. This is like, this pushes like really close to like psychoanalyzing myself. Sounds great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I strive to minimize affect, which is not really something that you can actually do. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been struggling with my thoughts about this recently. It's become sort of more and more obvious to me, um, especially over the last year. I've I've been just trying really hard to keep emotions as far away from my work as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I'm really interested. Like, I, I just want to try to figure out how to how to make poems with things other than emotion, and to use facts and rhetoric. And I don't know. That's what I've been really into. And I think that's a reaction to the last year that everyone's had and what's gone on in the world. And I'm I'm just going off the deep end with some of this. Wow. Like, like second half of this is dark. <laughs> The world is terrible. <laughs> well, it is. I can't feel things anymore. <laughs> oh my god, awful. <laughs> um, one thing I was saying earlier was that your that your work felt like mythic to me. You know, part of it's because I mean, you work with myth <laughs> in I think in 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 both books, right? I mean, you have the oh, everywhere. there's like Socrates somewhere <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm blanking on other stuff, but I remember seeing a bunch of stuff, uh, the piece you published in autofocus, um, you know, and then with, uh, the history of mountains, there's a, I don't know the pronunciation of the Greeks. Was it like Herodotus or Herodotus or? Yeah, yeah, Herodotus. All right. yeah. yeah, I feel pretty proud I got it. But, you know, the Greeks seem to be like a big kind of preoccupation of yours. And kind of like you said, like your, your work is, you know, to me somehow able to be personal without the lens being on you. Um, so I guess, you know, obviously this will get into History of Mountains, you know, a little bit because of the Herodotus. Um, but kind of where does your occupation with, you know, Greek myth and kind of Greek thought and the Greeks like, kind of come from and kind of how does it live in your headspace? Um, it probably comes from being a failed classics major. <laughs> That's a very logical um, place for it to come from. 
Yeah. Well, um, you know, going, I, I mentioned, you know, when I was a, a teenager, it was, you know, very much sort of, uh, you know, the modernist tradition. And a lot of the modernist tradition was to study the classics. And um, I went into school wanting to uh, wanting to study the classics. I declared myself as a classics major. Um, I failed Latin too. And then I got kicked out of the classics department. And so I signed up with the English department and basically slept through my classes. I feel that in two and you got to go hang out with the scrubs in English, you know? I know. It's awful. <laughs> um, that's cool. And so it's still obviously something that you like to read and, and, and kind of study and, and pull apart and think about. I like history and old things because, like, I, I don't know, I just – you can you can take a you know a Greek or a Roman figure and do whatever you want to them. They're dead, <laughs> and their culture has been gone for. I mean, it's a, it's an academic right. question of of you know curiosity and history, and you know you can do whatever you want with them. You know, I'm 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 just sort of like I, I'm interested in these things that we can take and use them for ourselves because that's the you know that's the big Ann Carson way of doing it is you know you, you it, it, it's not about who they were then or even what happened it, it, it's about what they mean to us now mm-hmm. and you know be they a vehicle for something or you know I, I do use them as lenses and vehicles and stand-ins and you know a way to say look at this instead of look at me mm-hmm. um, but it's like look at this in order to look at me in a way right like look at this but you're really looking at yeah, me and, you know and yeah that's where I th- you know it's and kind of like myth metaphor is such an important part of your work not just when you're making metaphor like in the line <laughs> um but also like on the piece itself or like kind of the work as a whole i think kind of operates you know on that level as well um, and so, you know, one thing, you know, I was wondering is kind of like, just like at first and at then kind of like what sparked the conception, you know, of this book, was this something you were working on kind of concurrently or, you know, you finished the other project and you're like new project, let's go. This is the idea. And you just kind of ran with it. Most of the history of mountains was written in a single sitting. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it's, it's not very long. It's yeah. like 12, 12 kind of. Would you call it prose poems or microfiction or something else? I never really know what to say. I never it, technically, do it's listed under fiction, okay. <laughs> so I, I call it microfiction. Uh-huh. I think that there's not much difference, and right. I actually tried to uh, when I submitted this manuscript to, to Variant in their open period. Um, I specifically submitted it as fiction uh-huh. because I wanted to prove a point that prose poetry and small fiction was pretty much interchangeable mm-hmm. and there was no genres a lie um yeah so like like now it's officially a f- fiction book because i was being too smart for my own good or something <laughs> i don't know yeah but yeah yeah i, I don't i don't know if there's I, I i like to call it micro my, uh i like to call it micro fiction because it is um it, it is a narrative story yeah right and I, I think that's the only meaningful difference between, you know, a prose poem and a piece of microfiction is, is you know, the, the presence or absence of traditional narrative structures. Yeah. But, you know, you know, even though there's a narrative like the way the pieces rub against each other is 
poetic logic. <laughs> so it really is like, even again, it's like, it's not, you know, it's not, it can't, it's not even possible to be one or the other, I guess. But so, you know, did kind of, you sat down, you know, that day and you were like, you kind of had the idea of the form you wanted something to take and, you know, where did kind of the mountains and, and the character of the mountaineer, you know, and this idea of kind of like the history of the mountains and, you know, and also, and also kind of the shape of the book, I, you know, I, I know I just had the digital, but I really loved kind of the design of the book and, you know, the way you have it laid out, you know, you talk about, was it with an avalanche? Is it, it's like the steep slope abundant weakness trigger. And then like the last part takes on, you know, that form like that then becomes the form. Um, I know I just asked you like five questions. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any of those you can isolate in there. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so my, my method is, uh, surprisingly close to automatic writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I actually consider Kerouac probably my, like, where I get a lot of my, uh, he, his methodology is is probably most similar to my own in terms of just sort of writing down, sitting down, and letting the spirit take you and going. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of planning. Um, I, I do zero planning for the most part. Um, I just sort of write my way into it. Um, what ends up happening is this sort of like ten to fifteen page sequence is something that I I just I, I like. It's sort of where my boulder comes to a rest. Mm -hmm. If I shove it off the, well, you know, talking about slopes and avalanches, like you know, it's where the avalanche ends up lying. Um, I like to do these sort of big bursts and, you know, when the uh, motivation hits me, when I have the idea, um, this comes out of, uh, you know, the history of mountains comes out of my obsession with the age of adventure and the early 20th century, mm -hmm. you know, getting again into the, the modernist period. Um, this sort of last gasp of empire, I'm interested in these men who put themselves at such stupid risk <laughs> to do something so dumb and stupid and ultimately meaningless because they had these these humongous ideas like you know both about themselves and you know their mythologies uh, about who they were but the mythologies of, of of nation and you know like they could save the british empire from it, its decline by like climbing a mountain <laughs> i just sort of you know i i i want them to be my puppets and i want them mm -hmm. to dance for me because i i want to to understand sort of why they do these things that they do. And, and that's a question that I'm never going to really understand. But um, the history of mountains comes from Everest, mostly. Um, and George Mallory uh, was a very talented mountain climber um, in uh, the early 20th century. And he died in 1924, um, on one of the last attempted summits of um, Everest before the Second World War, just totally stopped that until you get into the 50s with 
Edmund Hillary and he actually makes it. But um, what makes Mallory so fascinating is that we don't know if he actually made it to the top or not. He might have actually been, you know, the, the, the first person to be on the top of Mount Everest. So George Mallory um, was just this this wildly uh, arrogant dude, and um, he's sort of the the model for the mountaineer in a in a kind of way. And um, a lot of it is just it's it's just it's my fascination, which is really you know I uh, there's a sort of um, you can find a lot of me in the persona character mm-hmm. um you know in the eye of the um of the book and it is this sort of interrogation in a way you know again sort of going into this this writing that is aware of itself in a way um it's me sort of asking my weird brain like like why are you so into this <laughs> like like what is wrong with you why are you why are you following this mountain year around when he's a jerk to you? And like, <laughs> yeah. And um, you could maybe say that like, you know, this is a, a, a parable about ADHD in some ways. Perfect. I, I think that's a pretty solid interpretation it. of it actually. Um, <laughs> all right, we're done. We're done. Pack it up. History of mountains. It's figured out. All right. That's my conversation with Danielle Rose. The History of Mountain ships in a few days if you pre-order it. So go do that. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening.